Welcome back, listeners, to a special Friday edition of the New Standard. And the reason we have the show coming out Friday is because one of the hosts is uh, taking some R&R this weekend before the season starts in earnest. Um, I'm just going to get some R&R because it's a busy time for me, which means it's an extra busy time for my co-host, Neil Kulong. What's up, Neil? That's right, Lance. R&R for you. It's the season for me. This is really the last uh, weekend of, of non-pro uh, football for several months, and I'm, I'm always a big fan of that. I enjoy the start of the season in particular, um, as crazy as it gets, as, as uh, kind of wearing it can be in this profession uh, down the stretch. This is the time you really enjoy it. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to be here on our special day, um, special time, I should say. Uh, Friday broadcast instead of Sunday. Let's get to it. What's up, Big West? Thanks for West for jumping onto the program. Long time listener of the program. Big up to Wes as well, listeners. If you're on the program, if you're new to the program, make sure you give uh, the YouTube channel a subscription and a like. That is a way that you can get the program. Also, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. And any podcast where you get your podcast stream, go to those feeds and do the new standard, do a search or new standard and Steelers, and you should find the show there. Also want to give a big shout out to some of the show sponsors, Great Dads versus Everybody, Shop Supreme Queen, Nothing But Butter, Assist to Score. We will post their information on the YouTube chat, the links that you can find information for them. Also, Again, want to send my thoughts and prayers to anyone affected by Hurricane Ida. Those scenes of the subway flooding in New York were just unreal. So hopefully, nuts. you know, stay that's safe. absolutely nuts. Be safe. Be safe stay out dry. there. Yeah, stay in the house. Stay dry. Watch a great weekend of college football that's coming up. Some big games. I really want to watch the Clemson game versus uh, Georgia. And I want to watch Bryce Young the new quarterback from Alabama. That kid was awesome when he was in high school in California, was the uh, starting quarterback for modern day, which was which is a powerhouse on both the basketball and football side in California. The title of this program, listeners, is Will the Steelers Slap a Rico Case on the Bills Mafia? So we're going to break down the first game, but before that, we're going to jump into some transactions. There was a big transaction that occurred earlier today. Neil, you want to jump into that transaction the Steelers did signing a new cornerback? Yeah, as we found out about an hour ago, news broken by NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, the Steelers acquired cornerback Akella Witherspoon from the Seattle Seahawks, uh, as it turns out, for a 2023 fifth-round pick. That's not this coming draft. It's the one after that. Um, Witherspoon, from everything I have gathered about him to this point, is about as uh, peak and valley a cornerback as you can get. There was a point where uh, Pro Football Focus had him as the fifth highest, uh, the fifth best graded cornerback uh, in the NFL. I believe that was last season, and he was the fourth lowest graded cornerback back in 2018. I've talked to uh, my Seahawks reporters and my 49ers reporters, and they all say that this guy. Um, really either is a dominant uh, top-end cornerback or he's getting beaten like a rented mule. So 
he fits right in with with Pittsburgh and their philosophy on cornerbacks. Um, we'll we'll see how this works out. What we know financially is the Steelers are going to be on the hook for one point five million dollars this season. Um, that's a fairly low price, uh, a little bit higher, I think, than they'd probably want. But you're paying a premium this time of the year to acquire talent uh, that you expect to play, and I would think that they brought him in with the expectation that he can play. He looks to me, Lance, like an outside guy more than the slot. I think that uh, a lot of fans thought that he was going to play. Maybe Mike Tomlin, uh, Keith Butler have have, uh, different plans for him. Um, I'm not 100% sure where we sit on that today. Um, The Steelers will be back in practice uh, that's open in the media, I believe. Um, If not today, then it's probably not until Monday. But we'll we'll hear what we hear about it. I think we know what they're going to say. By and large, he's a great player. This is the time we're going to acquire talent, blah, blah, blah. Uh, no, we haven't signed Watt yet. So um, I don't know. It, it really, I think it's going to be really hot and cold, um, but it, it's not a huge risk. It's the fifth round pick, as we've talked about on this show, that the Steelers can't find a buyer fast enough to get rid of. And uh, to bring in a player that provides them with depth, uh, that's really what they needed. So I, I think it's it's the move. We probably could have thought they were going to make. Uh, maybe not the player I would have thought they'd be interested in, but uh, that's what it is. If you're on the live chat, I posted a link to his contract details from over the cap. And those contract details, of course, will be listed from the Seattle Seahawks contract because that's where he was last. And I'm sure over the cap, they do a fantastic job. They'll update it and put him onto the Steelers books and it'll slot where it ranks. Let me just ask you, before we get into some of the other transactions, some of the news, do you think he plays right away? Um, you know what? I <laughs> People ask me that question a lot. With, with the Steelers, I, I'm done guessing. I have no idea. Uh, there are times <laughs> where they bring in a guy uh, at, at higher comp than what they just gave up, and they literally play them eight snaps in the season. And there are times that the guy – He's the first one off the bus, first one on the field, and the last one to leave. So I, I, for me, I wouldn't think he'd play a lot, at least not right away. Um, that's just my thought. I, I don't know how well he fits in. I understand the fan base really seems to be chomping at the bit as far as uh, getting in anybody else in, in, in their secondary, particularly their cornerbacks, who aren't going to play uh, uh, behind the guys who are there now. But – I don't his game, honestly, let's put it this way. Seattle signed him to essentially a one year contract, four million dollars guaranteed. They did that, I think, back in March. Seattle just traded him for a draft pick two drafts from now. They're begging to get rid of this guy from their roster and they weren't going to cut him. So they picked up a a really low value pick well down the line that's not going to help this team or their next team. They wanted to get rid of him pretty badly. Uh, you can't ignore that in this equation. The Steelers are not paying all that much. That's true. But I can't get past the fact that Seattle really wanted to get rid of this guy. They're the only team that had him in camp. So I, to me, I wouldn't think they'd want him on the field quickly. And that that's their decision to make, and we'll find out. But I don't know, Lance. <laughs> I, I, mean, I don't makes, know how well this is going to go over. That makes perfect sense. And when you look at pedigree pay and performance, he doesn't have any of the P's. So – you know, and you're talking about a premium position in corner if you want to add another P. And when guys give up young corners, you know, when you give up young corners, that says something. And I think you wrote on Twitter this week, and I did a podcast on it last year about Mike Tomlin's struggles in drafting corners. 
and how the Steelers have a hard time drafting corners and developing young corners. And it tends to be where their best corners are from outside that they bring in in free agency. So, you know, this is interesting. Maybe it, you know, maybe it'll work out. Maybe it doesn't. But I think this says a lot to where the cornerback position is for the Pittsburgh Steelers. But we're going to transition into some other news. Some other big news, of course, was the final 53-man roster. But before that, let's briefly discuss the practice squad. And I know, Neil, that you can talk about the practice squad rules really briefly because I'm always confused when I look at the practice squad, particularly when I see a Carl Joseph signed to the practice squad. So that made me look them up. And I know you can detail those a little better than me. Let me give you guys the names of the practice squad players. And Neil, uh, let me know if anything stands out to you from any of these names that are on the practice squad. And what do you think the plan is around this practice squad, given the new rules? So let me give you the names of the practice squad members, wide receiver Rico Bussey, wide receiver Cody White, Trey Edmonds, Jalen Samuels, outside linebacker Chaz Green, outside linebacker John LeGlue. I love that name. He's a tackle. Le- I love a that tackle. name. I love that name, LeGlue. He's the LeGlue. That, that's just great. <laughs> uh, tight end Kevin Rader, DB Mark Gilbert, DB Donovan Steiner, wide receiver Steven Sims, offensive guard Malcolm Pridgen, Linebacker Derek Tuzka, linebacker Christian Miller, defensive end Daniel Archibong. Any name with bong in it. Is that's that's fabulous. pretty good. Yeah, that's you, just awesome. You, we just... We're going to remember Archibong for a long time. <laughs> Hit the bong. Come on, man. You can't <laughs> the <manages>. Archibong. That's <laughs> just yeah. his name right there. <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> Trace <laughs> heard all of it. <laughs> Dude, that's just fantastic. Anything How old are we? I mean, yeah, I'm just sorry. <laughs> I mean, anything with bong in it is great. <laughs> And, and last but not least, safety Carl Joseph, who's the most notable name on the practice squad. So given the new practice squad rules, if you want to run through those briefly, Neil, given those rules, what do you think, uh, what does this say about this practice squad? And and who's the player on this practice squad that you think might have the most significant contribution during the season? Here's the biggest thing that we need to remember with the practice squad right now. It really is kind of a... a a staging area for the team the way that the rules are now which is you can keep up to 16 up to six of them can have uh uh more than two years uh, more than two accrued seasons which means veterans i.e carl joseph i.e jalen samuels you can keep those guys now on the practice squad previously pre-covid you couldn't do that so they are able to essentially stash whatever player that they want, provided there's less than than seven of them uh, with two or more accrued seasons and keep them in place. Because what they're doing with Carl Joseph is keep in mind when, when you come into a team, uh, the, the protocol says you still have to sit for five days uh, before you can be activated and practice and everything to, to make sure there's no transmission or anything like that. The Steelers signed Joseph to their practice squad so he can serve those five days then the the likely plan is going to be to put him on the active roster. Carl Joseph, the former first-round pick, the West Virginia product, um, I could see him joining a a roster, um, joining the roster early this season, which is a little bit different. I've just, I've heard people say that's what their plan is because uh, also another another point of emphasis that, that fits in with all of this, vested veterans in the NFL, which is a player that has four or more accrued seasons, their salary is guaranteed for the year if they are on the roster in week one. 
if it's if they sign after week one, it's not guaranteed. Carl Joseph is the kind of guy, and there are a lot of veterans that you're going to hear about, and and you know this is usually the conversation this time of the year. They aren't signed yet, and they're not going to be because teams don't want to have to guarantee their salary. Carl Joseph fits that mold to a T, except they can stash him on the practice squad, get him signed, um, commit him to that, and just have him be on the practice squad until um, he can be activated. At the same time, part of the um, part of the trade that they made today for Witherspoon uh, meant that they cut Henry Mondo, one of the the defensive linemen that they had in um, in probably preparation for the loss of Stefan Tuitt, which you had. My guess, they're going to activate Joseph as soon as he clears COVID protocol uh, they're in, and cut somebody else on the roster and then put Mondo in that place in the practice squad. I know okay. we're diving down a long rabbit hole here that we probably shouldn't. There are a lot of little things that come with roster transactions at this time of the year. Joseph is an NFL caliber player. He's a varsity player, as Mike would call him. Um, it, I, I don't know his high-end ceiling. I know that he is absolutely a, a run-and-hit guy, which Tomlin loves. He's an experienced safety, and he fits the mold of the sacrificial lamb type that they've tried for years to put onto their team. Previously, the position held by Morgan Burnett, the position held by Mark Barron, that. that's going to be that. Carl Joseph. <laughs> I was going to ask you that. Can he play that role? He's that going to be that role. He's yeah. fit. For, he's perfect for that role. He's a, a former first-round pick who's on his third team, who doesn't make all that much money and isn't going to be able to do either of the things that they need him to do. But they're going to continue to try to build this position at all costs. It's going to be Carl Joseph now. Um, we'll see. I don't want to speak too negatively. I'm, I'm not sure uh, what Joseph looks like nowadays, but uh, he's an oft injured player. Um, you know, really just a, a full all out guy who's just not going to last very long because of the physical style of play that he has. Uh, he was with Oakland, now Las Vegas. Um, his career hasn't really amounted to a whole lot, but there's a huge risk of injury with that guy. Another reason why it seems weird to me that they'd want him on the, the roster in week one, but. Um, I don't think they're going to be paying him all that much either, so it might not be that big of a deal. Getting back to the practice squad, we obviously know Jalen Samuels pretty well. He's there. Uh, the Steelers are still keeping uh, Benny Snell and Kalen Balaj. I know I spoke uh, at length about the lack of desire that they would have to have both of them. I had no idea that Anthony McFarlane would be put on yeah. – IR and he was we'll, so we'll talk about that as well after we talk about the practice squad and we aren't surprised at all that uh, Samuels ended up on the practice squad he was barely used at all in the preseason uh, he's there for uh, a deep depth more than anything he's, he's not going to be a factor in anything this season uh, or probably anywhere else I, I you know I wish him the best I don't think his uh, I don't think his paycheck is going to be coming from the NFL for a whole lot longer um, I did want to highlight, though, Lance, North Dakota State product Derek Tuska. I, of course you did. Go Bison. We're talking about a guy that lost four collegiate games, has three national championships under his belt, one of the best players in school history, a seventh-round pick of the Denver Broncos last season. Tuska made the team. He hopped up and down practice squad to roster, but he played nine games, and primarily he played on special teams. Why does that matter outside of the fact that he's a bison? Go bison. He's the reason, to some degree, the Steelers are okay with Quincy Roche getting released. Now, I understand the love for Roche. Believe me, I had people screaming at me in social media about this. Roche didn't look to me at all the, the varsity player that Mike Tomlin said that they were looking for. 
It doesn't mean he's never going to be, but what he looked like, Lance, was a little dude thrown into to, uh, third-string tackles and not having a whole lot of success. He couldn't stand up against the run. He wasn't ready to play. And on top of that, he's not a special teams player. Tuska is. So, it, honestly, if you have the option to, to pick up Tuska, put him on your practice squad and say, you're probably going to play for us more often than not. We're going to activate you. You're going to come up and down. If Roche isn't going to be able to get to their practice squad because for reasons that I don't understand, the Giants picked him up. Tuska is, in my opinion, a better option. On top of that, Tuska is bigger. Tuska is a better athlete. And Tuska has nine games of NFL experience that Roche doesn't. I'm fine with Tuska. I'm totally fine with that move. Uh, very smart. We'll see him more and more. You're going to see his name mentioned more and more. To your point of him being a smart player and listeners, if you're checking out the show, especially on podcast, you're never going to hear anybody give you a detailed nope. breakdown of Tuska on any Absolutely podcast not. anywhere. So big up to Neil for that, for giving a breakdown for the Bison player. And when you talk about being smart, I mean, you can't play defense for Vic Fangio and be dumb. No, they wouldn't have kept him either. That's you the know, key they thing. They kept him. Yeah. I mean, Seventh round play. pick that they kept in that defense. That says a lot about him as a player. He didn't play much defense. I'll give you that. But it, you have to be able to do both if you're going to last. You can't just be one or the other. They threw him in. He had to be in situations uh, last season. But primarily, I think he had 30 defensive snaps in nine games, and he had 130 special team snaps. So that was a core special teams guy for him. And they they kept him until they couldn't. You know, it, that, that happens a lot. I'll bet they wanted him on their practice squad too. I think the Steelers fared better with the Roche release adding Tuska to their their practice squad as opposed to their their rookie six-round pick. Now, why the Giants want Roche is beyond me. He doesn't play their defense. I don't know what they're trying to do there. I don't think he's going to be on the team uh, leading into week one either. I think they'll probably cut him as well. So uh, it, it remains to be seen whether Roche is going to be uh, part of their long-term plans. But right now, they've got three outside linebackers uh, on their practice squad. I don't think they'd make a move to get another one, but I don't think they w don't want Roche on their team either. I think they legitimately wanted him uh, on their practice squad and the Giants claimed him off waivers. Roche was the only sixth round pick who got cut and claimed by somebody. That says a lot. Yeah, it does. It does. It does say a lot. <clears throat> you mentioned it briefly. We're talking about some of the other transactions <clears throat> that occurred. And I think that the biggest news in terms of the transactions outside of the Carl Joseph signing to the practice squad is you have two prominent starters going on reserved injured list. And I'm going to list the names and explain <clears throat> to the listeners when they can come back. And of course that's outside, excuse me, offensive lineman, Zach Banner, running back, Anthony McFarland Jr. And the biggest, most significant loss early in the year is defensive end Stefan to it. And that was thought to be happy that it was going to happen last week how soon can those players come back and then when we break down the roster and talk about the state of the o-line and going into this matchup how this will have a significant impact in my opinion on the pittsburgh steelers at least in the first quarter of the season how Definitely. soon can both players come back all three of them are eligible to come back after three weeks uh will they is another story they're eligible to come back that is also something that was put in place due to the COVID protocols. Typically, it, it's uh, half the season, and uh, there is no recall list either. Everybody who goes on IR is eligible to come back after three weeks. That Those are the rules that they have in place. So 
Um, we don't know the severity or the extent of the injuries that they have because, frankly, the Steelers run, a, a, in my opinion, a significantly overblown tight ship when it comes to discussing injuries. We have no sense of how long any of them will be out. Uh, we do have a, a interesting comments from the Steelers defensive coordinator who confirmed that Stefan Tuitt was grieving his brother's death, which happened in June, tragically. He has a knee injury, and he's out of shape. <laughs> they don't talk about no. basic injuries, yet Yet Butler's talking about Stephon Tuitt's weight. Uh, I, I, I'm sure he heard about that from Tomlin. But um, to me, three weeks, if he wasn't practicing leading into that, I'm not sure it's just three weeks for for, uh, for Tuitt. He might need a little more than that. Um, you can't just you know work out for a week and lose weight to a, 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 a healthy – I'm gonna ask you, that, that leads me to a qu- to question I'm going to ask you about another player, mm-hmm. but but continue. As far as McFarland goes, uh, if I missed it, shame on me. I didn't even know he was significantly injured, so uh, I'm not sure either. what his I'm not sure what his situation was going to be. We knew Banner was going to be out more or less. Uh, yeah. He hadn't he really hadn't given much in the preseason. There were whispers about this. Um, a, a tough tough blow for the Steelers in that sense. Um, you hope Banner gets an opportunity to to get out there at some point here, but let this serve as a reminder for now. And you know, on the defensive side of the ball, Zach Banner tore his ACL in September of last year. He's not over that injury yet. Don't think yeah. that you're going to see great things from Devin Bush. Okay, once again, we've talked about it on this show right. often. You don't just magically come back from an ACL tear in seven months. Okay, it takes like a year and sometimes longer. Uh, Sean Sweezum tore his ACL on the turf at Tom Benson Field in, in Canton, Ohio, and never played again. So we don't know what the extent of, of his injury is. We just know that they, he didn't really play in the preseason, and he's on the IR to start this year. I don't think you can count on him. And the fact that the Steelers are going to be one of literally two, maybe three teams to start a rookie taken in the fourth round or later in week one in, in the NFL in the last 30 years, Lance, that's going to be Dan Moore Jr. And I think I I'm, I'm working to confirm this, but I think he will be the only left tackle taken in the fourth round or later to start in week one, his rookie season in well, modern NFL history. That's where the Steelers are with their offensive line for everybody talking about how great this team is going to be. Think about that. There's a reason tackles taken in the fourth round or later never start in week one it's because they're typically not good enough to play at that level yet i like dan Moore. pro football focus likes dan Moore. i am not ready to mint dan Moore to be the next anthony munoz okay you're not game planning in the preseason you don't know what to expect except you're just doing your assignment teams are going to prepare for the fact that Dan Moore is on the field for the Steelers and he will never have prepared for a, a previous NFL game when he steps out there against Buffalo in week one. Not a good thing. Not going to be a good thing. And I like Dan Moore a lot. He's going to get to be a pretty good player. I really like what I saw with him in preseason. That's not the same thing as thinking he can go out there and start in a game planned NFL environment week one and have a good amount of success. He's going to take some lumps. So you kind of jump to it to the state of the offensive line. And we're going to continue to talk about that. That'll be the next thing we talk about. I did want to ask you really quickly, because you talked about and spent a little bit of time on Stefan to its shape. Now there's another prominent player that has not played football and is presumably in football shape, but me and you know 
that T.J. Watt is not in football shape because the only way you can get into football shape is to actually put on pads and actually hit. You, you have to, to play hit. To, you have to play football. Not you have running to the sidelines. You need not to play running the sidelines or lifting <clears throat> or signing fan autographs. <laughs> um, he got good at that. Now, when they talk about Butler being out of shape, I, I mean, excuse me, to it, Butler talking about to it being out of shape. I'm guessing to it's way out of shape because he's out of shape physical, physically and football shape. I'm guessing that TJ, they just mean he's in good physical shape, but not in football shape. How quickly will it take, presuming TJ Watt signs this contract that everybody's been teasing that he's going to sign? and the ball gets pushed down the road a little bit more and more each day as they get to the deadline. And I see you raise an eyebrow because the more days pass, the more <laughs> days pass. Hey. So we're going to assume that TJ is going to be around for week one, which is a big assumption still at this point. Um, how ready is TJ? You know, how how, how effective do you see TJ being – Starting the season, having not practiced, put on shoulder pads, logged a snap, or done any football activities. I've always believed this, and this is really an old school approach, and it's an old school scout who always said this to me. You don't get better at the game of football by not playing football. You can lift, you can run, you can do all of these things, but football is the presence of all of them at once, and you can't just practice that. You can strengthen your hamstrings, your joints, everything like that on their own individually. It's a different world when you're having to use those in unison with your hands, your chest, when, when a guy is trying to block you. We see more injuries across the country in football-related activities, and most of those injuries come at, as defined by, by, however they keep this statistic, by overexertion. Overexertion is a polite scientific way of saying you're not in shape and you pushed yourself way too hard. I am not ever going to question the, the physical conditioning of TJ Watt. That's a big reason why, why Mike Tomlin drafted him to begin with. He said it. He's not in, he, he's not raw. He's just inexperienced. He's a great athlete. He just needs to learn how to play football more. That, that was really their statement when they took him at, at 30 overall. And they haven't been let down by that. My issue is you see a lot of injuries happen during spring camp. In, in colleges, in high schools, because guys aren't used to playing football yet. You can be in, in tremendous shape and blow out your Achilles. That happens. And that to me, that's more of what I would worry about. Um, they're not going to sign TJ Watt to the biggest contract ever given to a defensive player and not play him in week one. That I can, I can guarantee you he's going to be out there in week one. There's going to be hell to pay at the fan base if he's not. But how good he's going to be, how healthy he's going to be, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm worried about that. I promise you the Steelers are worried about that. They don't want him not practicing right now. They, they just don't. They would like to ease him into it. But to be fair, here's the thing that we have to remember. Right now, this is essentially a bye week. This past week was. They're not going to start with their, their uh, uh, week one prep fully until – um, Monday, which it yeah. is your your you know the beginning of the implementation of it. Players are usually off on Tuesday while the coaches put together the full plan and then they're practicing it Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Watt will be on the field full go 
uh, by Wednesday at the latest. That's my guess. I think it's yeah. Monday. I think they'll get the contract signed. Get the contract done. It was technically a bye week, and I think he took it as a bye week, so he didn't sign his contract. I think it's there waiting for him. He just wasn't going to practice, so he wasn't going to sign it. How it how ready for explosive activity are his pecs, his Achilles? These are things that get hurt. Uh, after long periods of inactivity and getting back onto the field. I'm not saying he's not conditioned. I'm not saying he's not in shape. He's a veteran. He knows how to take care of his body. I'm not questioning that. I just I get stuck on this, and this is a bad example because of his age, but Des Bryant had a, a significant amount of inactivity. He got on the field <clears throat> within 10 minutes of his first practice with the Saints. He blew out his Achilles and never played again until while well, he went to Baltimore, I guess, the next year. It's a significant risk to not play football and then go out and work. Without being able to ease into it, the pressure of the big contract followed by it being game week, I'm worried. You know, and the, the odds of it top to bottom are very low. I know that, but this is the kind of situation where guys get hurt because of inactivity. It doesn't have to be a contact thing. Well, I'm going to paraphrase or, excuse me, rephrase what your longtime scout friend said. it, And I'm going to say it in a famous quote by Bruce Lee. Boards don't hit back. <laughs> yep. And so I say that to say you've got to play football to be conditioned and good at football. And that's with any physical activity. You've yeah. got to do it. You've got to do it under stress. You have to do it under duress. And you have to do it when somebody is trying to actually whoop your ass on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Yep. They're and hitting so, back. <laughs> you know, boards don't hit back. And that's the famous scene from Enter the Dragon. Again, I'm dating myself, but I'm sure everybody out here listening to the program on a live chat hopefully has seen Enter the Dragon. So I think we can transition to, and we're going to get to the state of the offensive line, the final 53-man analysis. We did some predictions. I don't know how our predictions, I didn't tally it up, but I think you did better than me in the predictions. But looking at the overall rosters, let's just Let's just sum this up briefly and talk about it in two ways. What's the what's the strongest positional group on both sides of the ball? And what's the weakest? And, and what what position groups are you most afraid of? And I think I know which one you're going to say. <laughs> which one? Um, there are many. There are many of those, Lance. Um, How about your strongest? What's, what's strongest, your I think it's your receivers, assuming Claypool is is good to go. I, I, the receivers are going to be the deepest group. Um, a lot of strength there. There's a lot to like there. The versatile, they're going to be better in year two. Um, I, I've said this before, and I'm going to continue to say it. I think Claypool is going to blow up. He looked excellent in, in preseason games. I really like the type of athlete that, that they're shaping him into and that he's working himself into. He's going to have a big year, and I, I've, I've been a Deontay Johnson believer since they drafted him. Juju's a good receiver. I think James Washington can get reps and can do things. He's going to be a quality player as well. That's their deepest group. There's a lot that they're going to be able to do with those four. Um, offensive line is the easiest thing to, to say as right. far as the weakest goes because, well, it is. You've got now a, a rookie center and a rookie left tackle, and um, I don't think that they're particularly strong in any of the other positions that we know of. I, I like what Dotson has done. Um, there, there's Okay, there's a strength there. We'll call him that. Um, Trey Turner was really good once. Let's see what he's like. We're not entirely sure because he's playing against two brand-new guys on, on either side of him, to him. Um, I don't know if that group is making each other 
stronger overall right away. I think it'll be a struggle early on. And on top of that, I, I'm sorry. I know that a lot of people are going to hate this, but their running backs are maybe on the same level uh, depth-wise behind the starter, maybe worse than they were last year. Um, Benny Snell, nobody likes Benny Snell. Everyone thinks that Kalen Balaj is the second coming of Jim Brown. I don't know why. He's <laughs> Jim not. Bala- Jim Balaj. Jim Balaj. <laughs> He's not somebody you want in the game. And there's a reason he's been on four teams in four years. Okay. It, it, he's not going to just walk in and average four and a half a carry. He needs to be set up and he does not have an offensive line to set him, set him up. He's going to be playing against first string players. I don't think he's that good. I don't think he's that explosive. Um, that's a problem. Harris. I like Harris. Harris is a rookie. Harris is not a game breaker. He does not have long speed. He's not a guy that's going to get you 30. You're happy with eight. And you hope that you can consistently get him eight. I don't. <clears throat> I think he is better than what they had last year in the sense that instead of zero or one, he's going to get you three or four. That's not going to be the key to, to moving the ball consistently to win games. He's not going to rush 35 times for 110 yards. Okay, that, that's not a great game. So I'm, I'm a little worried there. Um, depth is not good. Cornerback, I think everybody has a right to be a little bit concerned. I do like what they have in their top three, though. I think it gets kind of shallow beyond that. Um, Hayden can still play. I like Cam Sutton's game. I think James Pierre is is an up-and-coming good player in the league. Uh, they want to get him on the field, or at least they should. I have no clue what they're doing with the nickel, Lance. None at all. I don't think We're anybody does. They've got like four to, of them. I want, you to, I want you to pause on that. I want you to pause on that. I'm going to give you my strength. I, I agree with some of your weaknesses, but I'm going to give you another strength. I, I think the quarterback room is a strength. Um, you know, of course, Ben is Ben who he is, is who he is. Mason when Ben Rudolph, is the only one in the room, that room is very strong. I agree. No, no, but I'll say this. An, although, empty, an empty room except Ben. It's a pretty I, no, strong no, room. No, no, I'll say it this way. Although the, the fan base, rightly so, has its issues with Mason Rudolph. But I think when you look across the National Football League, you do have a guy that has – NFL starts. Now you may not like how he's performed in those starts, but he has won games. I did not. He's, he, he's played on the road. <laughs> yeah, some yep. tough you're right. You're right. You're right. So, so all of the experiences that that he's gotten as a backup and as a starter for significant time, I think puts him in a position to be a very good backup this year. Yes, except so, when you have to use him, all that goes away because then he becomes the starter, and immediately yes. he's. Maybe yes. the weakest starter in the league. In an that that's yes. the, the the conundrum with depth. That's it the only matters until you have to use it, and when until you do, you it's not what exactly. it was. So exactly. it, it's the backup. Then the Steelers will have a strong backup quarterback in Dwayne Haskins because of the right. same reasons that you just mentioned. Uh, right. Except your starter is Mason Rudolph, so you're at an immediate disadvantage. You're at immediate disadvantage. Um, and I, I'm not ripping on the Steelers for that because I think the Steelers have you know a pretty deep quarterback room. All things considered, there are teams that have far worse than they do. But if Ben is the one starting, then they have value there. If it's not Ben, it doesn't matter, and it sucks. So it really, quarterback is a room of one, and it, their their quarterback room in that sense is pretty good. I, I'm okay with their starter. You hope he goes 17 games or at least 16 games in a, a non-necessary uh, week 18 game that they don't need him to play in. You hope he can do that. <laughs> let me let me give you another position group. 
I would have named as a strength, but with Tuit being out, I would say defensive line. I think when you have Hayward, Tuit, Alou-Alou, that's a strength as well. Yep. I love what they do up front, the type of ways that they rush the passers, the stunts, the games, the twists, the different things that they do, and they're versatile up front. So I think defensive line is a strength as well. Linebacker, I don't think is no longer a strength. I don't. Schobert is new. Bush is is Bush. He's coming back from an injury. Um, but when I look at this roster overall, and, and the reason why I'm a little bit down on the Steelers, this isn't a good this isn't a good roster top to bottom. Um, and, and I think when you look at the Ravens and the Browns rosters, and I know fans are going to hate me for saying that, when you look at the Ravens and the Browns rosters, you'll see the difference. I mean, you'll see the difference in the secondary, offensive line, running backs, um, secondary. I mean, their rosters are much better than the Steelers top to bottom. And I never like to expand it outside of the division because I'm, I'm old school in the philosophy. Worry about your division first and then worry about everything else when you're division first. When you look at them and you compare them against the division, the like you said, the only position group that stacks up as elite within the division is the wide receiver position. And I think that's still even probably with Cleveland if Beckham Jr. is back because OBJ, if he's healthy and right and not being OBJ, um, OBJ is probably the best wide receiver in the division. Um, so this roster, when I look at this roster in terms of my 53-man an analysis, not a lot of stars, you know, not not a lot of stars on this roster, um, you know, not a lot of, you know, top guys in their division. I mean, of course, you have Minka, you've got TJ, you've got Tuit, and you have Hayward. Th those are the best guys, you know, in their position groups on this particular roster. I'm not even adding Joe Hayden to that because I'm not adding old corners to that list as elite guys in their position. Old um, dudes. Ah. You know, you know, I'm not adding that. So when I look at this 53-man roster, it's just an average roster to me. Um, and so that's why I think, you know, you know, it's dark and, you know, full of terrors, you know, trying to look, use a Game of Thrones uh, reference. Um, this is this is a very interesting season. And you touched on the state of the offensive line. And when you look at that offensive line, I mean, I thought the Bengals had a bad offensive line. The Steelers' offensive line might be as bad as the Bengals. I mean, it has that potential, and it is possible. And the, the reason is, it, it's not. We're all hyped up about them. We love them. They'll be great. They'll do this. We don't know. We have no idea what Green is going to be like. We have no idea what Moore is going to be like. I hope that they're all all pro players. I, I legitimately let me, do. Let me, let me I really like real both of them. Let me interrupt you real quick. We know that that's a concern, right? The coaches know that's a concern as well. I'm going to tell you what's even more of a concern with that offensive line. Nobody knows how good Chucks is going to be or Chooks. In addition, yeah. like, he's your vet. Yeah, right? exactly. He's the veteran that we shouldn't have to question. Why, why is he getting an automatic pass? Because we're busy talking about two other players that are easy to question on the line. It, it, it's... This could be bad. That's all I'm saying. I, I mean, you, you know, have you have talked about it, and this is the final iteration of it. It's worse than what was expected to be this offseason. Banner was supposed to be able to play. They're putting a rookie in there now. That's not making them a better line, and uh, it's it's going to be tough. 
That's going to be I mean, a rough going early. I'll, I'll bet mean, money on it. I mean, you've got Green, Hassenhauer. I'm just listing. I'm, I'm just listing the names. Uh, you know, hey, you got Turner, Hassenhauer, Green, Dotson, Chooks, Danmore Jr. I mean, it, it, it is not good. And I'm presuming going into this game, give me your starters from left to right. Left to right, Dan Moore is going to start left tackle. Left guard is Kevin Dotson. Your center is uh, uh, Kendrick Green. Your right tackle is Trey Turner. Or right, right guard is Trey Turner. Your right tackle is going to be Chooks Okorafor. Um, when you, when you nobody's look at worried line, about that. What's, <laughs> what's the strength of this line? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Forty percent of it hasn't played a game in the NFL. Strengths, I, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> you don't and that's, know either. That's the yeah, thing. And, and and that's and that's what. We've said on this show repeatedly that I think the most difficult thing for a coach to deal with is uncertainty. When you don't know, you you don't have any reps. I mean, it's just you can't piece it together. This is on the fly. Your knowledge of the player, you're gaining at the same time everybody else is watching. I mean, you don't know anything yet. You don't know how they're going to perform, as Tomlin likes to say, in a stadium. You don't know how this is going to go. So I think we both agree that the state of the offensive line, when you look at this 53-man roster and the importance of the offensive line, is the most alarming thing about this team moving forward. But you touched upon something earlier. What's the state of this secondary? Who's the nickel corner? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Who, 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 who are the cornerbacks in dime? Okay, can, can we say this? First and foremost, let, let's just establish this for this show and forevermore. Your nickelback is not required to play in the slot. The slot and the nickel are not synonymous, okay? What I mean by that is the third defensive back who comes onto the field for nickel packages is referred to as your nickelback. He does not have to cover in the slot. So don't tell me that they don't have a, a, a nickelback. They have plenty of nickelbacks. They yeah. don't have a slot defender, yeah. I, I think anyway. Is Arthur Mallette that guy? Well, they think so. They have to because I don't think there's a move they can make left that that would give them the type of slot that we're used to seeing. Their nickelback, in my opinion, right now is James Pierre because they're going to move Cam Sutton inside. Cam Sutton is not the nickelback, okay? Cam Sutton starts. He's on the outside. James Pierre is the nickelback. He's going to cover an outside receiver when he's on the field. He's not going to be inside. That'll be Sutton, in my opinion. You know what we should do? To, to clarify for the listeners, we should just say, when they play nickel defense, who are the three corners? I Hayden, think that Sutton, and Pierre. Mallette might get in there. I could, I have no clue what they're doing with Witherspoon, to be honest with you. I, I That's going to take a bit for me to wrap my head around, but... They have a lot of outside guys, Lance. They don't have many inside guys. In fact, I think Mollett and Sutton are the only two that they have purely who can play that. Unless they have something planned with the safety, I don't know what they're going to do. And, again, we've talked about this. At this point now, I hate this kind of speculation, but maybe it's Minka. I, I, I don't know what else they're going yeah. to do. Yeah. They're loaded with safeties and outside cornerbacks. They don't have a slot position, and you need that, unless it's Mollett. And in, defense, in a defense of you, in defense of us, this is the toughest show of the year to do when you're talking about predicting games and breaking down games. The first game is the absolute toughest. You can look at yeah. past games. I watched the Bills game again yesterday, but man, 
that game was so weird and we'll talk about it it's hard to it, it's it's hard to glean anything in the first game but i think you made a good point maybe you know one of the things they do with carl joseph because we haven't even gotten a dime is that they just play like a big dime they play yeah, three safeties I, three corners i i think that if, if they're keeping 11 defensive backs which is what they're going to have uh, i'm trying to do the math i think if they put joseph on the roster and not subtract a defensive back from the roster. They'll have 11 DBs on their team. They have to be doing something with the safeties in sub packages. Like they're going to put four of them on the field as far as we can tell right now. Maybe that's their plan. Again, I don't know. Um, they have a lot of safeties. They have a lot of cornerbacks. They don't have many slot players. So somebody is going to play a position that we're not used to them playing um, and I think at the same time, they're trying to build versatility. They want to have multiple guys play in multiple spots. I think that's their plan for this season. And their, their transactions at this point uh, it strongly suggest that. Let's take the jump into this breakdown. And the title of the program is, Will the Steelers Slap a Rico Case on the Bills Mafia? If you guys aren't familiar with the name of the Bills, the Bills famously, their fan base is called the Bills Mafia. I don't know how it's the Bills Mafia. They must be all in prison because they don't win typically. Um, so it must be a mafia of none, given their n- number of rings. Um, last year, of course, the Steelers lost to the Bills in Buffalo 26-15. They're going to Buffalo again. They've lost to uh, their head coach is what, Sean McDermott, correct? McDermott, Yes. They've lost to Sean McDermott and the Bills the last two times. They lost uh, famously in Heinz Field when Duck Hodges threw four interceptions and they got smacked in Heinz Field and they lost last year. Well, that was they... Rudolph. No, no, that was, was Duck Hodges? Hodges. Yeah, Duck Hodges. The same yeah, by that point. Yeah, in the yeah he, um, yeah, he was, uh, he was pretty terrible in that game. That's when Duck Dynasty was raging and everybody was happy about Duck Dynasty and then he got embarrassed against a really good defense and a defensive coach is Sean McDermott. Of course, last year, ton of defensive injuries. Um, they played really well in the first half, a couple of turnovers, a couple of interceptions. That game sort of turned on a Ben Roethlisberger pick six in the first half, and then Stephon Diggs got loose, went loose, and did everything. And that was a game that Joe Hayden did not play. Put on the hat of Sean McDermott. You're looking at this Steeler offense. You're looking at this defensive line. Excuse me, this offensive line. You're looking at the youth of it, the inexperience of it. How are you going to attack the Steelers if you're Sean McDermott and and a defensive staff? I think it's Leslie Frazier uh, for the Buffalo Bills. Frazier is one of the best, too. Keep that in mind. He's been putting out high defenses for for many years. Um, Buffalo in 2019 was a a great defensive team that really struggled offensively last year their offense took off and their defense probably adjusted to that uh you play back a little bit and blowouts um they statistically they weren't a great defense i thought they did a great job against pittsburgh um for at least uh uh, the second half of the game i thought the steelers had the better of them uh, in that first half that roethlisberger uh interception kind of swung things the the negative direction and the Bills are a very tough team to beat when they have a lead. So they're they're playing good defense. Uh, if it's me, I'm really going to trick up a, a rookie center and a rookie left tackle. Um, the thing with the Steelers is keeping the receivers in front of you 
they're going to want to play to you know play to to tackle the catch a bit. Uh, that's what most defenses do against the Steelers. They might take a gamble or two defensively to try to rattle uh, those underneath receivers. And I think the Steelers are going to have to show that they're able to get the ball deep down the field uh, if if they want to combat that. Uh, will the Steelers do that? I don't know. Uh, the Steelers are going to get wide. I'm sure they're going to run jet sweep. They're going to be able to to uh, run the ball between the tackles. Um, but top to bottom, I think just overpowering and confusing uh, a rookie tackle with with TE stunts, with um, overloads, things like that. They're, they're going to get a lot of that in week one. I think they're going to be able to achieve pressure fairly often, and that's going to make it very difficult for the Steelers to, to be able to throw the ball. So if they can't run past that, if they can't run uh, slip screens, a lot of that, Najee chipping off the edge and then rolling out, if, if they're not doing a, a pretty consistent job of making those plays work, I think it's going to be a long day for the Steelers' offense. Uh, Buffalo is a very well-coached uh, and talented defensive team. They have one of the best cornerbacks in the game. They're they're going to be tough to beat. Um, their linebacker, that that kid, uh, um, Edmonds, big Edmonds, little uh, brother, Edmonds. The, the good Edmonds. Um, he's he's a, a bustling All-Pro player. Uh, he's really good. He's really big, and he's starting to figure out uh, how to play the game fast. That's dangerous. Um, it's gonna be it, it's gonna be tough sledding for the Steelers against that team. Buffalo's a really good team, though. They're favored by six and a half points. You know, Steelers fans need to realize that uh, they're pretty good, and that that's a daunting task to go to Buffalo in Week One uh, and, and and pull off an upset. I'm not saying that it can't happen, but I don't like the Steelers in Week chances in Week One. And I never did. I, I that that's a good football team. Let me ask you for let me flip the coin. If if you're you're Matt Cannon and you're Mike Tomlin. Uh, what do you feel like you can do going into Buffalo with this youthful offensive line? What can you hang your hat on? They're going to run gap up and down because that's what they're – the Steelers are built to run gap. Gap is basically – think of it, it – blockers turn opposite the play side. So if the play – if it's a handoff left from the offense's perspective, your offensive linemen are twisting their guys uh, away from the play. So they're turning to their right um they run they ran a lot of gap in the preseason gap is gap is really kind of like the lowest common denominator run scheme uh you don't need particular traits to be able to do it uh it really it's it's coaching it's footwork um i mean obviously you need to be a, a, a proficient blocker to do anything well but it doesn't require the coordination that zone does it doesn't require the the muscle that the power does so they they can run a, a pretty simplified uh, an effective uh, offensive scheme uh, with that as the kind of the center point of it. It's probably the easiest way to bring along a bunch of new guys, and that that's what they did. Uh, I think Green and Moore both fit well as as uh, zone blockers uh, primarily. I think we'll see some of that. I think we'll see outside zone come again. Uh, more than anything, I see Harris being an excellent inside zone runner. I think they're going to do that with him. Um, those things they can use – the schematic advantage with those things, if they're coached up well enough, if they're all on the same page uh, to, to create kind of an advantage of their own. Um, will they be able to do that? I don't know, but it, it with kind of going on what you're saying, it really is going to be up to this offensive line. And I'm not sure uh, this offensive line is capable of um, creating that type of advantage for themselves. I think the one advantage I think the one advantage for the Steelers going into the game is Buffalo was not a good pass rush team last year. They don't have an individual pass rusher 
that's particularly good that can just dominate an individual matchup. But I think to your point, and when you were saying TE, you're talking about tackle end stuff, tackle end games uh, from the defensive line. It's just with a young offensive line, you don't necessarily need Reggie White to confuse guys enough to get sustained pressure. It's really the type of game where you can scheme a lot of pressure against a rookie or not rookie, but a young um, offensive line. Let's, let's, let's flip the ball on the defensive side of football. When I was watching the game yesterday, the Steelers had a lot of difficulty with Stephon Diggs. Um, and I, and I know that Joe Hayden didn't play in the game and that's not to suggest that um, Joe Hayden could cover Stephon Diggs or the Steelers would put Joe Hayden in a position to try to travel with Stephon Diggs or exclusively try to defend Stephon Diggs. Let me give you a couple of stats from uh, uh, that game. Diggs was targeted 14 times, had 10 receptions, 130 yards, had a long catch of 23 yards, and had one touchdown average, 13 yards a catch. And Cole Beasley, the infamous Cole Beasley, uh, was targeted 10 times, had five catches, 41 yards. They had the bulk of the carries. The one thing that stood out defensively in that game, as good as the Steelers were last year rushing the passer, they only had one sack in that game, and I think they only had five quarterback hurries on 42 dropbacks. So how do you think the Steelers can scheme up some pressure or get some pressure, particularly with two it out, and how do you think they're going to go uh, from a coverage perspective in dealing with digs particularly? Because I think there's an issue with this, with the issue of who's going to be this, this inside slot corner. How are they going to handle Beasley? Because we don't know who this guy. I is. don't know. Which, um, I mean, what's your thought? Do they play does. it safe? Do they play a lot of cover four? Cover four just meaning, you know, you have two outside corners, two safeties. Everybody takes a fourth of the field, and it's really designed to keep everything in front, and you tackle the catch. I mean, what are the coverages you think? How do you think they'll go about it? I think it, as far as coverage goes, they they're going to run match zone. They usually do. Um, match zone is probably the best way to handle uh, a high end dude like Stephon Diggs. Let's keep that keep this in mind. Uh, you shouldn't fault Joe Hayden in 2021 for not being able to hold Stephon Diggs on 15 targets under 100 yards. Um, Diggs, in my opinion, is one of the best, if not the best, technical receiver in the NFL. Um, you watch him. He has that bend. That's the, the same scout uh, that I mentioned earlier as far as not getting better at football by not playing football. He said this a lot as well. As far as the receivers go, there's like a third-degree bend that some of them can have when they make their breaks. They do it with their ankles. They do it with their, their kind of quads and knee area, and they do it with their ass. They're they're moving in in uh, they're they're moving really wide outside of what their base is, and it's really hard to cover that because that's the point you're looking at as a defender um, to to mirror him to to see where he's going. Diggs has the ability to shake guys off completely while staying totally balanced. So when he gives you an outside move, it's impossible to not bite on that outside move, and then he'll curl back in with 100% of his balance. So all of a sudden he takes one step and he's got four yards of separation. Covering Stefan Diggs man-to-man is almost impossible. I, I don't think there's any point in doing that. And certainly none of the Steelers cornerbacks are going to be able to do it. That's going to have to be a team effort. And he's going to catch the ball. He's going to get seven, eight catches at least. 
Um, <clears throat> I'm assuming they're planning on targeting him a lot because, well, he's really good. So I, I don't think you can just shut him down. I think more than anything, though, when you're dropping into your nickel and a guy like Beasley does become uh, more of a weapon, you have to be you have to remain big up front because your your challenge with Josh Allen is he's 6'5", 230 pounds, and he might be one of the the if not the best one of the best athletes on the field. He can run. Um, he he's incredibly graceful for his size. He can move. He can shake. Um, He's tough to stop as well. You have to pay attention to that. So it wouldn't surprise me if the idea is um, you're you're running a hook to curl zone with your slot to keep an eye on Allen rushing to the edge while releasing Beasley to the inside with the rest of the zone. Um, what coverage that would be exactly, I don't know. I think they're going to have to create a few things for it. But again, the, 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 Buffalo is one of the best offensive teams in the game. Um, there, there's a lot they're able to do. There's a lot that they're going to do. Um, Steelers did a great job against them last year, I thought. Um, and a lot Excellent of that was matched though, uh, and their Excellent. linebackers played really well. So um, <clears throat> you put all of that together, uh, the Steelers have the defense to be able to run with them, but that, that challenge is absolutely there, and they have to be flawless. Um, game one, really hit and miss with the Steelers over the years. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they give. I don't know. When you say big up front, give me the three defensive linemen. I'm assuming you mean three <clears throat> defensive linemen. With two it being out, who are the three defensive linemen? Assuming they're assuming they're going to go down three and not a four-two-five, which I would think they do, or uh, excuse me, a two-four-five, which I would think they do more of. Um, it, if if you have three in there, my guess right now would be uh, Hayward, Alulu, and it might even be Alulu. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Bugs yeah, would be inside, probably Davis. I guess. I mean, yeah, it, that's the question with 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 two. It so out. here's here's a part of the reason why you go out and get a guy like Ingram. I think you can put a, a two four five up there with Ingram shadowing over the seven technique, not down, but on top of the line to to cover that gap. Um, I I think that's probably more of what they would do. They they don't need to get um, their their current low level defensive lineman on the field that much. Um, they don't need to play three down linemen. Um, that's versatility. I, I think they're uh, right. they probably have something planned for that. I'll say that. Right. And the seven technique, what Neil was talking about, is the defensive lineman that's playing the outside shoulder. Correct me if I'm wrong. Of the tackle, he's playing the seven technique. Or you can get even yeah. wider than that if there's a tight end creating the strong side of the formation. That would be the nine technique. That'd be the nine, which they <laughs> that, don't really play. They'll play they straight up play. over the tight end. <laughs> that that Philadelphia made yep. um, very famous with the, the wide, wide nine, the wide nine technique. That's getting your edge rushers really wide, so you can really play the speed rush game and really get up front and really kind of corral the quarterback, keep him in a defined place, and attack inside in your A and your B gaps. That's interesting that you said two four five, which would be another way that you can align your nickel. So I'm assuming the the, the linebackers in the two four five would be. Shelbert, Bush, Williams, Shelbert, Bush, and, and then uh, Ingram, and and let's assume Watt is playing. Um, that's who I'd put on there, right? Um, now those four, yeah, which isn't unusual. Um, it really, the the idea with that would be more staying big against the run um, while being able to still rush the passer and have an advantage in terms of coverage. Now, listeners, I want to thank you guys for hopping on. Neil's got to run. It's Busy time for Neil in the season. Thank you for hopping on. Let's get the prediction time, and then we're going to go ahead and conclude the show. Give me your prediction for game one. Uh, the Steelers are going to take this one on the chin. I think it's going to be something like 31-17. Um, 
Maybe they hang with them for a bit, but Buffalo at home in week one, they're, they're going to win that game. Yeah, I think the Steelers will lose this game as well. Um, I think they'll play a little bit better defense. I think it'll be like last year. They'll play some good defense for the first half. I think it's going to be difficult for them to sustain offense. I think the Steelers will take it on the chin on this one. Um, I like it to be, let's say, 28-13. I think it's a double-digit win for the Steelers, and I think week two will be very interesting because the fan base will be really hot and really bothered. But with that, yeah, that that's that's the real value. Don't bet against the Steelers in their home opener. Yes, I, that's, I, I know that, that for it. certain. So normally we would ask Neil what he's got going, but he's got a lot going next week. So we're going to go ahead and, going. Yeah, we're going to go ahead and hop off the program. Thank you everybody for hopped in, uh, for hopping into the program. Maybe we'll do something next week because there's a big gap between this show and the start of the season. We're going to work out the scheduling stuff. I'm still trying to figure that out, but make sure you keep listening and enjoying the program. And with that, we're going to conclude the show. And as always tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe.